We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. It is Thursday, January 6th in the afternoon. Uh, Wolves obviously played the Thunder uh, the day before. Some of you, if you're listening to these pods chronologically, I recorded with Chase Frederick this morning. Um, so we're doing double pod today with uh, Wolves beat writers Chase this morning. And today I'm joined by Britt Robson of Min Post, who just as this is now in your podcast feed, Britt's most recent column will be up at MinPost. Um, as he described to me in a message, he described it as a meandering column around uh, many different points. I thought it was a little bit more succinct than you gave it credit for. Uh, really, Britt leading with what has been kind of the lead for this team's success over the course of the last month, which is the dominance of the starting lineup um, but then you kind of get into the point of, okay, cool. You got the best starting lineup in the league, but you're 18 and 20. So what does this, what does this actually all mean? Um, before we peel that back a little bit, let, let's start with the starting lineup and, okay. um, and just give me in your opinion, how valuable it is because you both in your column recognize the value and diminish it a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, part of it is, let's face it, your best players are your identity. Um, Unless your identity is like Detroit Pistons, we have incredible depth. But even that, you know, had Chauncey Billups, Mr. Big Shot, Ben Wallace, Mr. Defense. I mean, at the end of the day, your identity is defined by what you do particularly well. And the way that that happens is when your best players or at least your most complimentary players are on the court at the same time and they give you an identity by their synergy and the wolves synergy this year is scrapping on defense to create points on offense and i mean chris finch i actually described the starting lineup better than i was trying to figure out a way to talk about it he said three high usage guys and two energy guys. Right. And that really is what it's all about. You know, you have Cat, D'Lo, and Ant who need touches and really flourish. They get into their rhythm 
by um, working through their offensive ball sets, you know, their skills. Uh, Vando and Pat Beverly uh, get into their rhythm by busting their ass. I mean, they that's basically what they do. If they're not flying around, they're internally frustrated. And so what has happened, what has made that lineup so good is that the you know the offensive skills, just the innate skills of those three guys have obviated the need for Vando especially, but also Pat Bev in his own way. Their offense is pretty much of a bonus. Right. Um, meanwhile, the quality of their defense both covers for the weaknesses of the other three and inspires them to play better defense. So as a result, you have a defensive-oriented team, even though you have three quality offensive guys who are, who are in the lineup, quite frankly, because they can score, um, which is another thing I get into later in the column is, you know, sometime we may have to figure out why that isn't working and make some pretty significant adjustments to what happens. But that's – I'd already – as I said, I was meandering to get to this point anyway. But the, so that's to me in a nutshell is what the starting lineup is. It's when Cat talks about Wolves basketball, I'm not sure he knows this, but I always hear it as getting after opponents, scrapping, turning them over, racing down the court, um, getting offensive rebounds to extend possessions. Um just basically being the kind of team that the wolves almost have never been. Right. And, and a lot of other opponents have been, I mean, every year there's a team or two, you know, you've seen it, we've seen it where there's a scrappy team that, you know, should be like a 400 team that becomes a 500 team because they scrap. Um, that's what the wolves are this year. I remember the, the first time for me that the, the starting lineups dominance kind of, came into focus was I was in Denver for that game and I was uh, I was recording an episode with a couple of the Denver writers out there and and I brought it up to them uh, that you know the start the, the wolf starting new starting five was was the best in the league and they had a net rating of plus 50 and naturally the response Adam gave me was well he goes well how many minutes have they played and I was like well I remember saying it at the time I was like I think it was like 109. I'm like, it's over 100 minutes. So it's it's not like insufficient. And then um, ironically, they, they play that game the next night against Denver and have not played as a group since then until <laughs> until last night. Um, but but kind of literally in those coming days, I think it was after the Denver game, Rob Mahoney wrote a really good column at the ringer about the dominance of this of this five man group that the wolves have had thus far. But again, it's all been on pause here for three weeks. And exactly. so we're still not, we're not at a, a larger, much of a larger sum of total minutes that this group has played. And as you point out in your column, kind of around the league, you know, no, no starting five, no five man group has played all that much together this season, just due to every team has had a starting player. I think, you know, the most frequent starting five this season is in Utah. It's the classic one. If you watch Utah play, you know who they are. You know, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, you know, right. Ingles is on the bench. 
Um, and I think Ingles so is the got, only player on their team who has got Omicron or has got gone in the <laughs> right, protocol. Right. So. It's exactly. But even then, it's like 454 minutes or something like that together. It's in the column, whatever the exact number is. And Utah as a team, of course, has played like 1,800 minutes. So you've got less than a quarter mm -hmm. of their total minutes. The Wolves, meanwhile, because it took them a while to arrive at this, this starting unit, because, you know, McDaniels was the original four instead of Ando, um, have played 7.7% of their minutes with this group. I mean, so as much as we've reveled in it, um, it really is less than 10% of the what we've watched from the Wolves this season, if you've seen every minute as we have, um, is not that starting lineup. Right. But when that, when that starting lineup is on the court, they actually boosted their net rating a little bit last night to uh, from 50.5 to 50.8 or 49.8 to 50.8 or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, you know, ridiculous numbers. So it is... I... <laughs> So as I found myself thinking about it, I'm like, well, okay, this is great. Uh, you have the best five-man unit in the NBA, but no group ever finishes this strong over right. you know over the course of the season. So they're destined to. I mean, fifty obviously plus, yeah. plus fifty. I mean, the second best five-man unit, which is Atlanta, which has only played a few minutes more right. than the small sample size that the Wolves have played. They're 35 right. plus 35. The third best unit is 17.8. <laughs> you know, I mean, so that's a, you know, for the Wolves to go from 50, you know, to 17.8, you're looking at three pretty significant losses there, I think. Right. You know, so. So we're anticipating know. some regression from that group, which I think when you just state that, like the starting five is going to get worse or be less productive. That is a little bit disconcerting as, you know, you're not even a 500 team thus far. But I on the other hand, let me jump in just quickly. Yeah. If they're plus 10 <laughs> for a solid week, mm -hmm. they'll go down to like 40. Right. Well, where I was going to go with it is it's like it's not that many minutes, no matter what. Right. Even, right. Right. even if they remain this good or even if they right. take a step or two back, right. it isn't what is going to define how good this team is. It just it it, right. it can't. It, no no team really does. It's a nice anecdote. Ultimately, for the Wolves to be over five hundred for the second half of the year, they are going to need to better implement their blended lineups in you know into this exactly. into this team. And obviously, you wrote about that as well. And that that's the that's eventually what the call was about. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really realize it until I was like. Oh yeah. Oh, but know? it's it's obvious. That is that is what Somewhere it's about. Somewhere around like quarter of eight in the morning. I've been up since four. I went, all right, this is what the column is about. <laughs> Let me see if I can finish on them. Right. Uh it, it's weird when you think about the the rest of the guys because as much as we can define the starting five, we can't really define a bench unit. There there's kind of been not at all. There's been the idea of Delo plus the bench guys. Um, because Delo subs out first in the game and he, you know, comes right. back into the second unit. But who the other four guys around him are has been in right. flux from the start of the season. They start with an eleven man rotation. I mean, Delo was playing next to Jordan McLaughlin at the beginning of the year with right. that. Um, you know, I, I think 
I would imagine in those units, the guy Delos probably played with most is Nas Reed because Nas has been the only bench player who's really had a defined role the whole year. He's Cat's backup. Torian, and even then, yeah. I mean, he was, he, because he was the starter, his backup job became in jeopardy because <laughs> Nate, Greg Monroe and then Nathan Knight both came in and played really well in, during the Omicron Blues, you know, so... But, uh, you know, as you predicted, by the way, hats off to you, because I Thank really you. thought that Nathan Knight was uh, going to overtake Nas because Nas Reed was really stinking up the joint. <laughs> and lo and behold, it only took a couple of games to banish that thought. Um, well, the, the I, idea I, was I that they could both Knight. be good. I, that was my yeah. my no, point was Nas over Nate, but not right. that Nate can't also eventually and, be something. And that is exactly accurate. What I was thinking about at the time we recorded, I think it was like the day after Boston or maybe two days after Boston when the Greg Monroe boomlet was in full bloom uh, because he had just, he transformed that game in many respects. Uh, the fastest growing flower and fastest dying flower. <laughs> yeah. Although now he'll go do the same thing in Washington. You watch. I mean, you know, they need somebody like him just as much now that, you know, they haven't had Brian all year and, you know, right. Gaffner or whatever his name is, is okay. You know, not really an NBA center. Um, so uh, I, I expect Greg Monroe uh I think he is a legit backup center in the NBA. I would not want to rely on him for more than like 11 minutes a night, but I think he has a role. Yeah, sure. Not on this team. Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like with, with the, with the rest of that group, it's, it's just a question of, you know, who else, who else is it? How do they come to these blended lineups? Actually, let's mix in a break here and then we'll come back in okay. on, on who we, we might want that to be. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries, from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20 by 20 solutions.com. That's T E A M at 20x20 solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All right, back with Britt Robson of Mendoza talking about his column that is ultimately about the Wolves kind of finding um, a, a set of lineups throughout the course of the game that is not just about the starting five being successful. Um, over the course of the Omicron time, uh, some players have popped uh, very clearly, and I think that leaves us some breadcrumbs for who might be able to come together to, you know, make up. Their, I mean, ultimately, this team needs more than five guys, and and they're searching for that. The the main, you know, who was supposed to be the main bench guy this year, Britt, was Malik Beasley, and I mean, mm -hmm. we even thought he might start you know, going into the year, 
Right. He's been right. he's been in a, a bench role this whole season and really just hasn't been able to to find himself. And I, I think there's a heavy level of Malik Beasley fatigue within the Wolves fan base right now. But ultimately, he's going to keep playing. This isn't going well, to go away. He's not going to go away, at least until the trade. And, and, and this is where uh, I'm a little more realistic than I was during the Monroe Nas debate or the Monroe Knight Nas debate. Um, like Nas, Beasley um, is having a hard time. And what's interesting, if you look at the raw numbers, if you look at just the guy's shooting percentage and where, you know, he, he started off horribly. And when he got copious minutes, as he always maintains is true of him, the more he plays, the better he gets. And Finch just said, you know, a couple of days ago, um, he's worked himself into a rhythm, a shooting rhythm, back into it as a result of all this time. Well, the problem with that is last night, choke is too strong of a word. But I really do think that he knew very well that he was on coming off the bench for the first time in almost three weeks and that Jalen Noel was having a really strong campaign and that fairly influential guys in the locker room like D'Lo and Ant have heavily endorsed Noel's game. I mean, Noel, as you mentioned in the last podcast, a, a phrase that really stuck in my mind because it's so true. He is a bucket. He is somebody who can get you something out of nothing. And that's harder for Beasley. I think Beasley has the better three-point stroke overall. Agreed. But that doesn't necessarily – I mean, right now that does mean something because his team is so bad at it. Um, but I do think that uh, in the long run, getting your own shot off is going to make a difference. And what was what we learned about Noel last night, I thought was a key revelation, is that he can handle crunch time in what is a quasi point guard role. There is really no point guard, which is what I was trying to ask Finch last night. I didn't get the question out right. He thought I meant, you know, that pass first point guards are passe in the NBA. But I meant it even more than that. You need somebody who is so good at getting their own shot that uh, they get treated kind of like a point guard. They're not a catch-and-shoot guy, uh, which is what, what I probably should have phrased it as. But Noel can be a crunch-time guy if he is able to be a threat to break down single coverage. Mm -hmm. and, and because there's so many other scorers on the floor – that puts pressure on people, not from a ball handling perspective, but from a point perspective, points, you know, literally putting the ball in the bucket perspective. And Beasley, if you put a man on Beasley, you've shut him off if the guy is a good defender. If you put a man on Noel, you haven't necessarily shut him off. It goes a long way to it, but you still have to worry. And that takes attention away from Ant, Cat, and Delo. And that matters in a crunch time situation where any open look is a godsend. I think I'm totally with you with everything that you just said about Jalen Noel. And I firmly believe 
We need to see more of that in crunch time. We need to just see more of Jalen Noel in general. Again, the one thing I do want to hammer home is that it doesn't need to be either or with Beasley or Noel. That right. They both can and they both certainly will play here going forward. So the question for me when it comes to Beasley, who no matter how we slice it, he's at worst, even if you want to put Noel sixth in the pecking order, Beasley seventh and probably still sixth. So how how do you maximize this important, not to mention expensive player in a, you know, in a group that he's not going to be surrounded necessarily by quote unquote good players or, or the best players on the team. And what we've seen from Beasley in the times that he has been successful in Minnesota, Minnesota over this, I guess, almost two years now, right? Like it isn't as the primary guy. He might shoot right. a lot. There's been times where he's led the, for months, like, times when Cat and Dealer were out leading the team in shots, but he isn't he isn't the primary guy. So I think it's critical to get more out of him, but how are you going to get more out of him in the context of the bench unit or the context of blended lineups? And and that's what I'm kind of stumped on is I don't know. It, it didn't work last night, but if you remember at the end of the end of the first quarter and the end of the third quarter, the Wolves had a one-shot situation. I believe it was those right. quarters. And, yep. and Finch called a play, specifically both times. I would, we, were, we, were, we were talking about it. It was that first one. It looked like a Spain pick and roll, but they had, they had Beasley peel off of it into you know, an open you know, an open three, which he and missed. And he had an open look, mm-hmm. right? And the same thing happened, right. again, I think it was the third quarter. At the end of the quarter, it was a, a scripted call for him. And Finch obviously has these like grand visions of how how offense is played in ball movement and and what he wants to ultimately see this whole team do but i i wonder if for malik beasley it isn't a good idea to have more scripted plays when when the team is is out there in those situations right that Mm -hmm. is where i think you're going to get him his best looks because malik's going to shoot it no matter what so like let's try and make these looks that he is taking you know, be cleaner. And sometimes it's going to come on the flow, you know, this and that. I just go back to the personnel and I wonder, can the second unit even run scripted plays? They don't really have a point. Like right, is Pat, right. Pat Beverly so, in there maybe for those spots? I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. And that's, I think that, that Finch is wisely understanding that Beverly is most valuable when he's keeping cat and deal on the fucking page you know i mean uh it really <laughs> makes a big difference no you're right i mean i mean you know i mean cat and Delo go into their you know little little uh you know it, it's uh what, what do they used to call them in psychology or their tapes you know mm, they, yeah. they begin to you know run run their uh scenario of what they are and for Delo, it's like he's the doctorate of court hoops and for uh cat it's like he's the beleaguered soul who's got the world on his shoulders and keeps on trying to shrug it off you know and so um patrick beverly is the glass of cold water on both of those ideas (laughs) hey you need to be over here right now and this is what you need to do right now and you know let's get your shit together i mean he literally came over to the bench last night 
and <laughs> while during free throws and came and screamed at the bench. And we know which players were there. And he, he, he said, wake the fuck up. This is our jobs. I mean, that's what he, a lot of times when we're sitting where we are, we are trying to read lips of what's being said that right. you heard, you know, right. and, right. and obviously we, we know Patrick Beverly is that guy, but he, he is specifically that for, for Kat and Delo as well, which is, um, necessary accountability and, and, you know, credit to them, credit to Pat too, accountability that they hear. And, and, yes. and they, they, you know, they really listen to. They are max salary guys who everybody acknowledges are in pivotal seasons regarding their career. Are they going to be quote unquote washouts with the Timberwolves? Or are they going to take a step with this club and prove their value as max guys who can move the needle? And Pat Bev gives them feedback that prevents them from staying in their comfort zones in terms of how to proceed. And that's why he's so valuable in that unit. Vando is actually, you know, the lungs and the hamstrings of that unit. He's the guy that really, when we talk about turning people over, Pat Bev does it well, but Pat Bev is more the inspirational brain trust. And Vando is more the, you know, the kamikaze lieutenant and, (laughs) and, you know, and that's a great combination to have two guys who, if they're both in switch mode, it is going to be very, very hard for somebody to be free for long in a half court offensive set. Cause one of those guys is going to be on them. And, and that's a great feeling. I mean, it's so rare to watch the Timberwolves and know that they better go through their schemes quickly and, and execute it right or somebody's going to be in their face. And it's such a new idea for this team. And at the same time, I do think that Ant, D'Lo, and Cat really benefit from Pat Bev's pre- press presence. So what you said to I me, think- what you said to me after the game was it's so clear that Patrick Beverly is the only person on this roster who has ever won at in, in the NBA. Yeah. And what I said in the column was the only guy who's played meaningful minutes in the playoffs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as a guy, you know, maybe Prince is one of his teams went away, but I'm talking about as a guy, top eight rotation guy, you know, somebody who it, it's so rare. Needs, it's so rare. The rub off effect of that, right? Like there's been a ton of teams over the history of the league, right. or certainly even recently where right. there's been teams that have, you know, they bring in the vets, the guys who have won before. Right. We've seen a lot of discount versions of that in Minnesota over the years. Yep. Yep. Ed Davis. <laughs> it is it is rare that there are players who do have that track record on a roster that doesn't have that track record. Chris Paul, right? Exactly. Paul was- That's exactly where I was going to go with it is, I mean, Chris Paul, more than anyone in recent memory from OKC and obviously to Phoenix last right. year, has got that to stick. And, and to matter and, and to you know, translate to the other players on the team. It's interesting with Pat Bev that I think normally if I were to believe in, you know, some vet savvy vet showing them the way they would need to be better than Patrick Beverly is. Right. We talked about that a lot last year with Ricky Rubio, not that he wasn't a good leader. 
we would give we're giving him tons of credit for he being didn't have the gravitas the, exactly right. the gravitas and you know glass half full here with pat bev it's that he he doesn't necessarily have the gravitas himself but he just might be on another level you know what i mean <laughs> where the right the enter the fire is so burning that you can't you can't escape the heat if you're cat delo or ant I had a long talk yesterday with a, a good friend of mine who is a diehard Clippers fan. And they're mourning his loss mm. right now. And they're saying everybody knows he's not the best player on that team. But they said he was the heart and soul of that team. And do you remember the year that um, Doc Rivers proclaimed that the fav- his favorite team he ever coached, uh, were, they weren't expected to go anywhere and they wound up like snagging an yeah, eight the seed. AC, they played the Warriors. Con- yeah. Yeah. He said that Pat Bev was like a miracle worker on that team. Mm. And the situation on that team is very, very similar to what the Wolves have right now. You know, some really interesting players that may gel, may not, you know, but a a kind of situation where one guy like burning brightly and what is insane about Pat Bev is that he goes at refs, he goes at opponents, he goes at opposing owners, he goes at, you know, and, and he almost wanted a fan uh, last night in the stands. He's almost one of the fan. He he hugs SGA, who, you know, was there his first couple of years in, in the, mm. you know, with the Clippers. Yeah, I'm sure he's really proud of the way SGA is developed. Um, he's just somebody who doesn't have a emotional filter on what he does. And, and, you know, when you're, mimicking maiming chris paul and then actually maiming chris paul after that i mean after that yeah i guess uh, i didn't even think about the irony here of us comparing patrick Beverly to chris paul given their relationship but i mean it's just it's one of those situations where he wants to win so much well against the lakers for example he just he took them out of the game with his insanity i mean he followed russell westbrook figuring he'll miss one of these shots and therefore, we'll only get one point out of that possession. We can go do things. I'm sure he didn't run it by anybody <laughs> on the coaching staff. He just decided it was time to follow Russell Westbrook. And he does the same thing. Sometimes he, he gets way out of his comfort zone with uh, what he is able to do on the court. He, he, he sometimes knows that like say a, a guy is a great pick and roll partner, or this guy can take him. If I just, you know, I'm able to get the ball to him in the post. And he's so taken with that idea that he feeds it, even though there's almost no chance he's going to be able to get the ball into the post. There are times when his, his desire to suss out the game meets the limitations of both his skill set and, and the quality of the opposition. And it just drives him crazy when that happens. He is in danger of going off the rails. And I, well, I do think there it's are like times- a chemical concoction, right? Like if there's just a little too much acid in there, you know, start. Well, I tweeted out the other night in the Laker game that um, Finch took him out to save him from himself for a while. And it really did feel like that. I mean, it's like uh, he needed to sit down and like take a breath and go, oh, yeah, you know, that wasn't going to work. And even then, you probably need more than the rest he got. Right. Uh, but then he came back, you know, 
tied a career high. Uh, he he with cools down on the bench. He has his. He's really big on room temperature water. He doesn't like cold water. <laughs> then he goes right. And then he goes and sits on the floor there, and he kind of zens out for a second. Right, and then comes right. back out and on the floor. Beasley offered him a hand, which he ignored right until the, like the last minute that he got up to get into the game. It's like you know, he's got his ways, you know. And that's that's true. Uh, I mean, God bless him. He really is a he's somebody who, as you watch him on the sideline, he's just a a, a charismatic dude. And it's because you crack up five times a game next to me. <laughs> I mean, he's just. He's he just like kicks somebody's ass. And the way I'm built, if I kick somebody's ass, I leave it there. You know, <laughs> that guy knows I've kicked his ass. I've kicked his ass. I'm not gonna be a jerk about it. Pat Bev is tough. I kicked your ass. Right. You know, it's just it's so uh that Muscala block last night. When he blocked <laughs> Muscala. Muscala just and pretends he's not was- hearing him. And that was purposeful because that team, the Wolves were flat as a pancake Mm. until he came into the game. They had no energy. And not only did he block that shot from behind, McScott didn't even know he was there, but he wanted everybody on the team to have like the stakes elevated. You know, all of a sudden, you know, they're going to be coming at me because I am acting like a colossal jerk right now. So you guys better have my back. You know, I really do think that's part of his madness. Uh, Brett, let's take one more break here and, and come back. I want to talk about Jared Vanderbilt. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 
All right, back again with uh, Britt Robson of Min Post for our final segment here on today's show. Uh, I, I feel like the the outline of this of this podcast is things that we said to each other yesterday while we were watching the game that stuck with us and bringing them back up onto here. Uh, we had a little conversation during the game about Jared Vanderbilt, and and you said to me, "I think he's a first team All NBA player," and I was like, "Okay, like." I think exactly what I said was that's a really high bar. Um, yes, and that is accurate. And I said yes, it is. <laughs> you did, you did. And um, I mean, I, I think if I had a vote for end of season awards, the most difficult thing to vote on um, would be this that award specifically. Yes, because I couldn't agree more. Because because you have to see every game. Mm-hmm. You have to have seen like all 30 teams, 98% of their games, because defense is about consistency. And and understanding the unique element that they bring to a defense, right? It's a lot of times like offensive stats can can capture that, right? Just shooting percentage, right. total, you know, total point output, those those sort of things, even catch and shoot numbers. Like we don't have the equivalent of that with with defense to know what specifically players are good at defensively. I think, you know, some defensive metrics are starting to come around a little bit. They're not obviously any sort of proof nor are offensive metrics for that matter. But it, it it is it's it's tough. So I don't in that moment my default position was just kind of like, well, I kind of assume I, there's five. I don't players blame you. I knew it was a controversial statement when I said it, and. I also freely acknowledge my bias. I mean, I'm a defense guy. The Wolves have had yeah, pressure. But this is a defensive you know. conversation, literally. It's only about yeah. defense. Exactly. No, but that's what I mean, though, is that I think my bias is really tilted mm. toward Vando because I do see him every game. Sure. And he does do things on a regular basis. And he does it every and damn game. If I was a Golden State Warriors guy, beat guy, or whatever... First of all, Draymond Green would probably win DPOY over Rudy Gobert because he's fabulous this year. And my love of Andrew Wiggins would be rekindled because Wiggins is having a great year on defense um, as well as, you know, improving his offensive metrics. But that's the thing. If, if, Mm -hmm. if you watch good defensive teams and you do have to have a unit, that's good. You, you, appropriately remarked that the Wolves have to be a top 10 offensive team for Vanderbilt to even get a yeah did I say offensive yeah Yeah. defense I mean for Vanderbilt to even get a snip he needs to be in a quality defense Um, and so I think the odds quite frankly are low but the case I'm making for it is that as as I said before uh, Pat Bev sets the culture Vanderbilt embodies the culture, um, and the culture is scrap. There was a play, I can't remember what game it was, it was one of the two LA games where um, they were the, the either the Clippers or the Lakers were going to have an over and back. The ball uh, went slowly rolling toward the other thing. Vando went after it, he made you know, he was like one of the furthest guys away from the ball. He made the guy who was just walking after the ball 
run it down to get an over and back <laughs> because he was going to get the ball. I mean, that's just insane hustle. Because the Wolves are going to get the ball anyway, but Vando wanted to get the ball in the half court already with other teams having be in crisis mode, chaos mode, which is Vando's mode. Vando is a chaos generator. And so I was just really impressed with, you know, you, you hear Cat always talk about he will go for the 2080 ball. Well, the only way <laughs> of going for the 2080 ball works is if, even if the 80 happens and you don't get it, you still get possession, which is what happens on that particular circumstance. But it's just emblematic of what Vando does, which is if there's a sliver of a chance to improve the situation by busting his ass, he will bust his ass. So I'm going to ultimately make a case that I think he should be on one of the all defensive teams. I kind of looked, I spent some time looking into it, this stuff this morning and but I'll start with the case kind of against it. And and this okay. and this is just and this is just about names kind of. But if if you look at the all defensive teams from last season, which they're not there's no positional things. It's right. basically just a ranking of 1 through 5 and then 6 through 10, right? right? Gobert, Butler, Green, yeah. Well, not quite. But I'll read them. <laughs> uh, okay. The the first team was Rudy Gobert, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Draymond Green, Drew Holiday and Ben Simmons. So hmm. I, I just bring that up that to point out that there's no body of Vando's like role player ilk on on the right, first team. Right. And I didn't go I didn't go into to looking into into past years, but this was kind of I kind of assumed that that this is what you know it would be. There are examples. I didn't Pat Bev get first team, maybe second team. I don't know if he got first. There are examples. He, he was of definitely that. on the all defensive team at one point, right? Yes. And and Tony Allen has been too. Those that's kind of like yeah. the Vando thing, right. where you're not. I mean, those right. are five star all stars, right? Who are on right. the the, right. the first team last year. The yeah. second team was Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, and Matisse Thybul. So of mm -hmm. the ten, there was only one Vando in all of that. And that's Matisse right. Thybul, Thybul, right? Right. So that's kind of, I don't know, maybe if I looked at more years, maybe there's two of those who make okay, it. Okay, but you toss two out this year. Yeah. You toss Simmons and, and Kawhi out. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. That opens up two spots. <laughs> it does. I think you toss and beat out as well. He is not. I agree. I mean, I mean it could be. about overrated. Well, I mean, I love Embiid as a defender, but this year I'm acknowledging he is, when I've watched them, Numbers. He hasn't played a ton of minutes. You know, he was he was out. He's off. He's learned to pace himself. Right. He has learned the LeBron trick of uh, if you really need a stop, mm -hmm. I can, I'll go get you a stop. Sure. But you know, if it's two points, you know, call me later. Well, Britt, I was know? thinking about it too, man. He misses not having Ben Simmons. Like, yeah, he does. We we talked all the time when we were talking because about because he Simmons. has multiple guys going at him exactly. all the time. It's not one guy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That was the whole that was my whole like that's this is why Ben Simmons would help He'll control the point of attack and then Cat can kind of be in that Embiid role which is a lot easier right. than what he's previously had. Okay, so we'll scrap off Simmons of course, Kawhi off. We'll take Embiid off. I mean, Embiid could have an awesome second half of the year. Maybe he comes back. Bam is right. out for a really long time. So, yep. so we'll take that too off too. Too few minutes, right? Right. I would say that Gobert, Giannis, Draymond, and Drew Holiday are all locks to They're make lock. it again. They're locks. Yep, as they should be. And I think Jimmy Butler probably 
will also make a team again. Maybe put a little ass. It's hard to him. say. I mean, he again, he's uh he just went off with that ankle injury. I don't know how many games he's played since then, or if he has played. I think if he does play enough, he'll get it. I think that if the Heat do well, mm-hmm. to your point, you know, um, some of it is expectations. It's not, you know, all the ultimate expectation award is coach of the year. Right. You know, you didn't expect this team to do anything, and all of a sudden they're doing well. Right. But I, I do think that. Uh, defensive player of the year is definitely exceeding expectations. Sure. Well, and, let's take and, Butler off for the sake of that then. All right. All right. Just to try and make some room for Vando. I think we can also right. take off Thibel. Ooh, I don't know. Thibel's been good. The, but the I, I Sixers understand what you're have saying. not been as good. Again, you're right. You're we're right. trying to make the Vando case. We'll take him off yeah, too. Okay. So we got four four locked spots. Okay. I, I went through and I was just looking at defensive effective plus minus. And of the players who have played like over 650 minutes, uh, that's a lot, which is, which is a lot, but it's starters pretty much like, right. Yeah, here, here's the example. Right. The number one player Thibel, actually is Thibel starting all the time now. I think have, have they got to that point. I don't know. It's never, he's always in and yeah. out of it, but, right, right. but the number one guy in defect defensive effective plus minus this year is Gary Payton, the second, but he's only oh, at yeah. 600. Well, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And I don't yeah, think that makes sense. And when Clay comes back, he's even deeper right. bench. So behind him, the next two players in defensive effective plus minus are Draymond Green and Jared Vanderbilt. Jared Vanderbilt is go. second in, in right. the NBA. So that's a Vando. That's a you baby. That that's a I didn't even see that stat when I told right. you that. Well, I mean it, but it makes you've been watching him. It it makes sense. Right. So I think on that alone, he has some clout to be in the conversation. Uh, and he's got his teammates. His teammates swear by him. Mm-hmm. I think two other guys, again, just I, I'm just moving down the defensive EPM right. thing, but also merging it with my eye test that I'm watching some, is Evan Mobley and Jared Allen could both have cases to be on an all-defensive team. So I would, I would let's throw at least one of them into into the pile okay you disagree i actually uh, no 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 i don't disagree i think that i love the Cavs, um and i i love you know you know how much i've given you shit about laurie marketing um and i don't like laurie marketing but i i can appreciate that a seven foot guy who's just a catch and shoot guy, but also an occasional wandering shot blocker is a great fit next to Mobley and Allen. I love Mobley and Allen. Both of them are, are young. They're going to get better. Uh, Brooklyn giving up Jared Allen remains like, totally. What were you thinking? I mean, you know, it's just, so ridiculous <laughs> imagine that guy yeah. on that team right now they would they would be so good yep they would be so good because he's 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 a low usage he's a guy yeah, I, know it's, I mean yeah. can you believe him on the pick and roll with Kyrie? you well, don't even think about how good the harden and, uh, harden and durant could go sit down for 10 minutes you know well allen really came onto the scene with delo in that role that right, was right. I remember when after the trade, as I was like trying to familiarize myself with yeah. Delo stuff. I mean, the percentage of Delo's half court offensive plays that stood out to me as like, okay, this is a legit playmaker. 
half of them included Jared Allen right. setting a screen or Jared Allen being on the floor with him in, in that sort of way. That's offensive. And that's a, and this is a total side sidebar, but that's one of the reasons why Nas got the nod mm. over the other two guys. Yeah. Is because because uh Nas is a great pick and roll roller because he has good hands and he's got finesse at the rim. Uh he doesn't have hops and he can get you know, yeah, he doesn't have leaps. To, he doesn't have a raise he, up for a dunk he can, like that. He can get smacked to the floor pretty easily. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oop is a good word for him yeah. as in terms of having none. Not having but <laughs> um, but I do. Th- I mean, his hands and his uh, his the maneuverability of his body, um, both are exceptional. Mm-hmm. And if he has a guy like D'Lo, who's one of the best pocket passers in the NBA. Uh, it's a good combination, right. and 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 precisely the reason why D'Lo, rather than Ant, and perhaps even Noel, if we're talking down the road, needs to be the point guard of that second unit. I'm just really glad that Nas Reed <laughs> came up in our uh, conversation about all defensive team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I which I actually I said sidebar. I said so. Sidebar. You did, which actually is funny. <laughs> Nas is in my notes because I was scrolling down the defensive EPM thing. He he charts well. He does. He is above you Mikael Bridges. He's above Mikael Bridges. You know why? Do you know why? Why? Who does he back up? Cat. Yeah. That's. Yep. 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 Um, okay, let me give it's you some all more about names. Who you replace in plus minus? It, it, it kind of is. The, the defensive EPM is a little bit more nuanced, I think, as I understand it. Um, yeah, I agree. Thibel is seventh uh, of of the higher minute guys, so maybe we maybe we do put him in there too. He's the vandal of the perimeter. Sure. Okay. So even if we put in Mobley, Allen, and Thibel with the four locks, we have that's seven. Another player with a really strong statistical case. And I don't think he'll get it on reputation. But I don't think it's ridiculous, totally ridiculous, is Nikola Jokic is way up there. Part of that, too, uh-huh. is that the Nuggets have been terrible with him off the floor. That context in, informs some of it. But I do just want to throw him on there that he was 10th among the, amongst the higher volume guys. Also, uh, Derek White and DeAnthony Melton were way up there. I haven't seen enough of the Spurs or the Grizzlies. To... I like Melton a lot more than White. I would agree. White with is that. okay, mm-hmm. uh, but Melton is a Melton is a junkyard dog. And and let's face it, some of it is style. Right. Um, you could be, I mean, Chris Paul, for example, is just a great positional defender. Uh, at least he used to be. He's less so now. He's gotten He's a little good. older. Yeah. He's still very good, but. I would not argue him. I don't think he's the best defender on that team anymore. I think Crowder or Bridges is. or Bridges and Bridges. You're right. Bridges is, is taking a step this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I guess what I would do is if I were going to do what you did yesterday about this, I would look at the top 10 defenses and mm-hmm. I would look at who's got the best, you know, what, uh, when do they play their best? When who is on the court and why? Right. Um, well, let me give you some more names. Go, give me some more okay. names, so we can contextualize. Because Gobert shines. I mean, yeah. all the guys, all the guys mm-hmm. around Gobert have mediocre defensive numbers, mm-hmm. but you know, Gobert is just, you know, he's phenomenal. Well, we have him in the locks. Point part. Yes, of it. he is right. So here's exactly. just some other names who are like not in the top ten, but up there in uh, defensive EPM. Alex Caruso. Uh, uh, always. 
really underrated defender. I can't believe the Lakers were that stupid. <laughs> I mean, he let's face he's it, like he the really is. he's like the Thibel of last year. But because he I once compared him to one of those uh things you 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 know you know how you use the pincers in a truck stop and try to pull these like troll-like figures out of this uh you know what I mean? With those, you know, you put in a quarter and you get to use the levers. No, nope, yep, the claw. Something yep. And you draw. Yeah, yeah. So, Caruso was so one he's of those, the one of those he's prizes. the claw. He's like like this Kawhi ball. is no, the claw. No, he's like the ball guy. He's he's like the prize. Mm. He's like the guy who you get, you deposit in the thing, and then push it, and he slides down the chute. You come, you go home, and give it to your kid, and it's you know sits on a shelf for like three years. I get it. But, it's an ugly joke. <laughs> It is an ugly joke, but at the same time, uh, it it really is the way he looks. I mean, I'm not trying to be disparaging. I'm just saying that it. it he shaved it. He shaved it. He's me, it's better. He shaved it, and and you know what? I think it helps him. Uh, it, it for me anyway. It endears him to me. It's like he's saying to himself, you know, all right, this is who I am. Right. I'm like this little troll-like figure, and I'm just going to get in people's faces. I'm going to underwhelm them with my appearance, and then I'm going to be this incredibly athletic, hardworking dude, and I'm going to ambush people. He's very good. And he's one of the many reasons why Chicago, which has long been one of my least favorite teams, has become one of my favorite teams this year. Right. A couple other names. Steph Curry does well in this. Uh, Fred Van Vliet. Uh, I think he deserves some credit in here. Also, Lonzo Ball um, for what he's done in Chicago. Good size. Good size. Mm -hmm. um, Herb Jones. Chicago needs at least one guy on one of the two right. teams. They are playing great defense. One guy, this is probably not going to make an all-defensive team, but does well in these metrics and has stood out to me while I've watched the Pelicans, is Herb Jones. Uh, uh -huh. He's kind of like... He's going to get his love and flowers and the rookie stuff. Sure. He'll be an all all rookie first team. Right. Um then I think other real contenders for getting into this the all defense th all defense thing are Andrew Wiggins, um Jakob Pertl, LeBron, Miles Turner, Chris Paul. I mean that's a lot of guys who are having good defensive yes. seasons uh, with pedigree. I think the last 3 you mentioned uh are more reputational. Mhm. Mm I mean, I think Pirtle and Wiggins have both been legit this year. I think LeBron, I just got through not accusing him, but just acknowledging he takes a lot of plays off. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's an old dude. He's played like 20 years in the league. He should be able, he has the privilege of taking plays off. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, and then the other two you mentioned, I think are also more reputational. I do like Curry's defense. I think it's underrated, but I don't think it's all NBA defense. My, my point is just that that's a lot of guys. We've named a lot no, of I names agree. here. It is a lot of guys. And I, I'll i be surprised. I'll be pleased, but I'll be very surprised if Bando makes one of those teams. Um, but I do think... His first half of the I, season I, has made a case to be the ninth or tenth guy on that 10 I can list. bang the drum for Vando with a clear conscience. I can say I'm not being a homer here. I've just watched the guy. I'm a homer in the sense that I've seen enough of him right. to advocate for him honestly. And remember how I was saying before where we don't have like these specifics on defense of your catch and shoot effectiveness or this and right. that. 
there are some like eye test things that are specific and it's like the one big one in the modern NBA, just like catch and shoot, three point shooting is big on the offensive side right. of the ball is being able to contain big wings. And just this past week with Vando from the from the LeBron matchup in the Lakers game to who did he guard in the Clippers game? I'm trying to remember. Whoever it was, he bothered the shit out of him. Yeah. Um, um, Would have been a... Was it Marcus Morris? That's what it was. Senior? Yes, that's why I wrote it down. Because I went, LeBron yeah. and Marcus Morris are like the same size. And right. and, Van... and they're big and they also like to dominate. They like to push people around mm -hmm. on offense. They like to crab dribble you. They like to uh, fake foul. Uh, and Vandal will get into it with them. Right, I remember we right. saw that in... Uh, the Lakers game, it was the first game after Cat got hurt last year. It was game four of the season. And I remember like Josh Kogi hurt his hamstring in that game. And it was right when the roster started to fall apart. And Vando came in and guarded LeBron in that game. And I remember thinking, I was like, okay, this is the size and athleticism that teams who want to guard LeBron put on him. I had never really thought of Vando as that. I was more in the, I used to think of Vando last year more as a center. Right. And I've kind of now evolving because that's what he has to be on offense. Right. Right. Yeah. But now you're kind of getting this idea that he's um, defensively he can be a wing stopper. Defensively, right. he's a wing stopper. I mean, I guess that's just right. the, the way I put. So he goes LeBron. He goes Marcus Morris. And it's going to sound silly to put Josh Giddy in here, too. But it's it's almost another compliment to Vando that they put him on Giddy. Fresh off a triple double. Fresh off a triple double. And and he totally face guard Giddy. And totally got the Thunder out of, like, they wanted Giddy to be bringing the ball up the floor. They wanted that in the first quarter to start the game. And Vando was just denying it, denying it, denying it. And Vando beat the shit out of him. Yeah. I mean, to put it simple. And the Wolves right. beat the shit right. out of the Thunder in the first quarter. Right. 30 to right. 10. Right. You know, and right. and the Thunder had 10 turnovers. I'm assuming probably one or two of, but I know for sure one of them was Josh Giddy, where he just threw it to no that one. That one on his back, mm -hmm. right? He threw it to Ann. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Nobody was there. Um, but, it's not just it's not just Vando being an energy guy. It's not just him being an irritant. He reminds me, as I'm watching him play more and more, specifically in these defensive matchups, as the guy who this happens every year at the trade deadline, where this team in the Western Conference wants to trade for this big wing so they can put him on LeBron, right? In the playoffs, right, or they can right. put him on Kawhi. And and so like that's their job. The Dorian Finney Smith, right? Like the right, PJ right. Tucker in the in the East on KD, right. and I think Jared Vanderbilt has put himself in that you know pile of players who aren't going to stop LeBron. Nobody, you know, nobody is right. But that you can credibly say this would be awesome for a team in the playoffs to have. And what's cool about that is that his skill set on offense is not as a catch and shoot guy in the corner for three. It's grabbing offensive know, rebounds. Yeah. And I mean, that is a cooler skill than a corner three shooter because it's demoralizing to the opponent. You know, you get a stop, you force up a bad shot and lo and behold, here comes Vando and the play, you know, it's human nature to kind of let your guard down mm. when you, the shot goes up and you're thinking, all right, we got a 75% chance of getting the ball right now. And here comes Vando and, <laughs> In the, in the same you know movement, he's 
he's zipping the ball to the slot or the corner, and you got to defend another shot, like almost immediately. I mean, that's a cool skill. What it's one of my favorite things about the team this season. What what I have thought was really interesting about Vando since he came back is remember at the beginning of the year, and actually you kind of mentioned this in your column today, it was like he would get the offensive rebound and immediately kick it to the corner, which I raved about at the time too. I'm like, that's great. You know, like you get another possession and it leads to an open corner three, like profit. What's been interesting is he's not only passing out of those, or he's he's not. He's starting to put it back, right? He had this one play against the Clippers, but I think he got it on the right side, like on the right block, the offensive rebound, and he he like dribbled once with his right, spun back to his left. I think he took multiple dribbles from there and scored it. <laughs> which, right. if you would have said, if you would have described that to me at the beginning of the year, I'm like, no, don't do that, right? Like pass it out. Right. But there's now more of a purpose to it where he knows he can get to his left in the middle of the lane. He's on the right block, right? You don't know, turn right shoulder and right. right left. And, and he finished that shot. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And now a couple of times I've seen him grab it in the paint in those situations and not immediately hot potato it out to the perimeter, but make it right. make one dribble, go up with it, make one dribble, drop it off to somebody else. And I just think, you know, that's pretty valuable. I asked Finch about it today. I got to practice late. But but I I got there and I asked him about it, and he said we've been that's been a film study that we've been doing with him. Ah, and yeah. and I was like, oh, well, exactly. And and he has done. He's expanded his game not only that way but passing wise too. He has realized that he is not a great finisher, and so right at the point where he should finish. He's looking around to see if there's a better finisher in the vicinity. Mm -hmm. And that that had two beautiful dimes in the first quarter last night, you know, and, and even that, I mean, let's face it. When a guy has an 80% chance of making a layup and suddenly surprises everybody by giving it to a teammate who has a 90% chance of making a layup, you just feel good about your team, right? You know, you just say, hey, you know, that guy is playing really, really synergistic basketball by doing that. Well, I think that was the and, third and, assist he had was that drop off to Cat, right? Yeah, that was beautiful. Right, right. I I think with Jared Vanderbilt, he is starting to believe that he's a starting caliber player in the league. I think he had this, like, existential belief in that entering the season. But even to himself, he kind of had to prove it a little bit. And he has, you know. That's ex- I think that's very well said. Uh, you know that that that's exactly right in my view. I I think the way he's playing right now is as somebody who is beginning to get out of his own mm-hmm. self image and starting to look at the game, starting to look at all right, how do I impact this game differently than I have been. Um, and I don't think he would have risked that in the past if he hadn't gotten such positive reinforcement, both in terms of the results and the reaction of people, right. mostly his teammates, but also guys like you and me and, you know, other media. The fans, yeah. Pete. Yeah, and the fans, right? He's a fan favorite with good reason. He's my favorite player on the team right now. Well, I don't know about that. Pat Bev? Yeah, yeah it's close. 
I mean, you know, <laughs> it was Greg Monroe, but you know, depends on who we're talking about. <laughs> right. Yeah. Greg Monroe, it was, it was Greg Monroe was literally a one night stand. <laughs> that Boston game, you know, it was a great night. We'll remember that him, Jalen Noel had 29 that night. It was, it was a glorious Monday exactly. and then it all fell apart on Tuesday against the Knicks. Yep. Um, all right, Britt. Well, um, I think we about covered it here today with where the Wolves are at. I guess let me let's just close with I was talking to Jace about this this morning too. Like it's a four game road trip, uh, all all on the road. Uh, this Thunder game on Friday, Rockets Sunday, Pelicans Tuesday, and Grizzlies on Thursday. Where are you at in what your expectations are for that? Because that's four winnable games. They thrashed every one of those teams. Yep. Uh, so you could say that they are recognizing an opportunity to go 22 and 20 or 21 and 20 at the halfway point, mm-hmm. which is 42 wins, which in, in this division, this year, this conference will get you uh, the right side of the plane um, at the very least. And so I've got to think that Finch is exhorting them in that direction to say, this is a make hay time. And this is what we need to do. Pat, Bev I think that's why Finch it. was pissed that whole game last night. Yeah, right. Exactly. Because to I have mean, lost it, that would have rightfully so be. And not only that, but give that team confidence for when they go back home and play them tomorrow night exactly. or Friday night. I mean, you know, that's just uh you know, it's it was a lost opportunity, and you know we haven't talked about it much. I've referred to it in the column, but um, Cat and Dilo still have ghosts that they need to chase away for good. You know, they need they need to banish some of their reputational demons, and uh, they did not do that on their first game back last night, despite the fact that I think both played hard. And played, you know, as much as they could given their energy level. You know what's weird, um, Britt? I think Cat had the better game than Delo did last night. I actually don't even think that's really up for debate. No, it isn't because he he did he got five offensive rebounds. I think and, and sixteen and he total. Was, yeah, yeah. I am more concerned about Cat in this post-COVID life or post, you know, leaving the protocols stretch right, than right. I am about Delo. Um, I think Delo. I just, I think he knows what he has to do to be positively impactful. Uh, he doesn't do it every time. I'm not sure if Cat knows. I, I found it, I found it really to be a tough hang last night watching him uh, foul out yet again. Three offensive fouls, complain the entire time. The return of stray voltage, because. That player, compared to the player he was on that Portland-Denver road trip right. where he won Western Conference Player of the Week, is so different. It, it's so different, and it is really concerning to me to see him go back to who he was at the beginning of the... Last night, I think he went back to the player he was at the beginning of the year where you know he lost his mind in that Pelicans game, also right. a, you know right. a technical, all those sort of things, and... The the cost of 
stray voltage games from cat is immense not only in what it does on that evening but and how the team feels going forward and conversely when it's not there when he picks Jokic apart like you start believing in in where this this team can go so i, I just i don't want to see that again against the thunder on friday and if it does i'm going to be i'm not going to believe in the road trip yeah you know i would i would contextualize it a little bit differently than you have i think it's with cat is higher risk but also higher reward than Delo. I mean, you do have a higher risk that he will revert. But if he doesn't revert, it's a higher reward. I mean, if you get Cat playing the right way, you do have a foundational piece. Um, one of the few consistent things that has happened this year is that D'Lo can't shoot. I mean, that that is concerning to me. And I mean, you know, the guy has played... He's risen in the clutch. He's been great on defense, far, far better than I ever expected. Uh, I devoted a column to, you know, gushing about how he has exceeded expectations. But at the end of the day, if one of your top two or three usage guys is a clanker, especially a crunch time guy, um, that's fraught. And, and, and that, that's another that that is almost as big of a shroud on what could happen as cat's stray voltage and 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 weirdness regarding the officials. Hmm. If Delo continues to go three for 12, four for 14, you know, six for 18, nine after night, um, that's hard to make up. And that is frankly one of the reasons, a, a big reason why this team is like 24th. In offensive efficiency, if he just had an average career year, they would be out of the top twenty because of how important he is to the way the offense runs. I think. But I'm at this weird point of not even like banking on that or expecting it necessarily. Some sort of. I'm expecting. I think it could him happen. To, I'm expecting him to start to from here on out. It'll still be career worse, but I want him to shoot his career averages which are like 10% better from three, six or 7% better from two. And he's never um, been a beacon of efficiency either. In no, the he hasn't, but yeah. he can't be as inefficient as he is now. Right. So is that your way of I mean, disagreeing he's a, he's with a, he's me? A, he's, a start, he's a starting point guard on a would-be playoff team. Mm -hmm. And his numbers, I mean, I understand why people are so down on D'Lo who don't watch the team because on paper, he's awful. He's much better to the eye test, but the awful numbers do need to come up. And as to whether or not I agree or disagree with you, I think we're arguing about yeah. whether we want Brussels sprouts or lima beans here. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, they're both not very appetizing. Uh, but they're good for the health of the when, team. When <laughs> there you go, nice recovery. Go. But so it is. It's kind of like crazy. Uh, when they're on their game or they're room for improvement, both of the I mean, if Cat plays the way Cat played in Denver and Portland, and Delo plays the way he played the last 15 games of the season last year, then this team is going to make the playoffs and perhaps host a game. Right. 
you know? Uh, so I'm just saying it's, it's weird to me that I expect that more out of Delo than I do out of cat. And I do find that interesting because I'm, it's only because cat has disappointed you more yes. frequently. Yes. Albeit in different ways. I mean, you got to admit you are the guy who correctly said, and I thought it was an admirable stand at the time that cat is in the top five on defense for this team this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, his defense has been important. Uh, yeah, no, I, with cat, it's always a lot of things, you know, he's just, right. Right. He weighs on well, you. Cat can, if you're talking about the fact that cat can be more annoying than Delo, <laughs> I'm with you all the way. I, well, that is kind but, of what I'm saying. I, I know. And, and what I'm saying is don't let the annoyance right. get in the way of the value. Mm -hmm. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I don't know. I mean, it very well could have been, you know, maybe at the beginning of the year when cat was being annoying like this, it was a product of not being all the way back in game shape and right, being a little right. bit too amped up. And that would make sense with last night. Maybe he's a little bit too amped up coming back and not in game shape too. Maybe when Cat is what in shape and right, like then we less voltage. I do think, despite his occasional forays into, you know, hyperbole, um, that Cat is more self-aware and more sincere about wanting to do things to make this team win this year. Mm -hmm. He's not as performative as he's been in the past. Now. That's a that's a low bar to be less performative, but I do think he has been, and I see signs of maturity there. And I also think that he's embraced by his teammates more this year. And some of that sure. is Finch, some of that is his own maturity, but they all call him big fella. I mean, which is kind of odd because I mean there's not that big in the pantheon of big men, but on this team. He's a big fella in 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 ways figurative and literal, mm -hmm. and 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 so I haven't given up on the idea that Cat uh, will be in the conversation among all NBA centers. I don't think he'll make it. I think he's the fourth. Yeah, I haven't best given up center. on it either. It, I think he's the fourth best center in the NBA, uh, and there's no shame in that. You know. Sure. Uh, but I, I, whereas I think Delo, even, you know, given his great defense this year, off ball, it should be noted, but uh, is at best middle of the pack point guard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it's obviously not a, a measuring stick of who's better overall. I guess what I'm just right. saying is who is more likely to disappoint you. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> Um, all right, Britt, uh, everyone, you guys can uh, read Britt's most recent column. It's up at MinPost now. It's titled, How Chris Finch is Mixing and Matching the Timberwolves to Competency and Maybe a Playoff Spot. Um, team remains <laughs> with a lot of intrigue and a lot of a lot of questions. As well, that's what's off. crazy. I mean, it just real fast, Finch has no idea <laughs> what his you know, right. rotations are going to be. Mm -hmm. He was... So hoping that Torian Prince would follow up that Clipper game right. with another good game. And Torian Prince just went out and laid a turd. I mean, just mm. 10 minutes of just vintage bad Torian Prince. And, you know, you could tell that it, 
it it dented the latest dent in the in the Torian Prince uh because Britt, this is what wagon. he knows that they need to find the blended lineups as you're talking about exactly, and consistent exactly. prince would help that a lot it would really help he's like the Sooner emblem for what they want a, to be Mr. Okogie is on that bench man <laughs> he was up there high he's in defensive to EPM too he was I bet he was. I mean, not a lot of minutes. Uh, not a lot of minutes. We don't have a, we don't have enough time to get into my <laughs> affection for Josh. <laughs> All right, uh, he's Britt Robson. Uh, read him at Mid Post. Follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. Um, I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore NBA, and we'll be back to talk to you after the Thunder game tomorrow night. Until then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stop. Yeah, green it hard so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down. Yeah, hope you dancing like nobody else around. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.